Uh, all right, so we're moving on in our series uh, entitled Healthy for the Holidays. Uh, and this is a series where we've looked at the opportunity that we have to, um, to get ready in preparation for the holidays. A lot of us, or maybe it's just me, know that I'm going to make that, I'm going to hit up that turkey dinner amazing at Thanksgiving. And the best part of Thanksgiving is the day two uh, manwich with the stuffing, canned cranberries, turkey, gravy, potatoes on two pieces of bread. It's amazing. Um, but in preparation for that, we want to get a little healthy. We want to uh, get things in line. But for us as a church, uh, we've been talking about spiritual health, uh, being spiritually healthy in anticipation for our holiday time and anticipation for Christmas, uh, but not scooting past Thanksgiving where we're thankful for all things uh, and have a thankful heart, which we'll be looking at here in a couple weeks as part of this series, but uh, being emotionally and spiritually healthy. And we've been talking about that a lot the last three weeks. Uh, and I also want to just put a plug in here that next week we get to hear from our own Amber Severin. Uh, and she's amazing when it comes to spiritual health. And she's going to be like, why are you saying this? Um, when it comes to spiritual health and when it comes to a, a woman in leadership, man, when she takes the stage, I just, I, I'm glued in on every word that she says. And so next week she's going to be preaching uh, on spiritual health and uh, it sounds like she's going to be touching based on some traditions and not ab abandoning tradition, but also looking to be an intentional with our time. And so, but this morning, we get to talk about life. Life bigger, making it count is the title of my message. Uh, to start it off, I get to brag a little bit uh, about my son. I didn't even ask to do this, but I'm going to do it. Colby, can I have permission to share? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, Colby, Colby, there's a running joke in Colby's math class. Uh, Colby has aced all three of his math tests in high school as a sophomore in high school. And, uh, and I don't know, it might be a COVID math test, like they easy it up for COVID, I don't know. But uh, his teacher publicly in front of the class has pronounced that he's the only one that's gotten aced all three tests. And I don't know, I mean, I think maybe because like, my, like math was one of my best subjects and I got like B minuses at best. Um, and so I don't know where he got it, but, uh, but if I would have been him, I would have like bombed my third test knowing that that pressure. And so the pressure's on him to continue with that. But we were talking about math in general, because if you didn't know, uh, in high school now, they have a financial education course where they actually teach the kids, uh, some of the finances, skills and math about, uh, finances. And I don't know, I know for me at least, the closest thing to like life skills that I got in high school was home ec. And I like carried around a little, uh, 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 an egg in a box and I had to like watch that egg for like three weeks. Do you remember doing that in home ec class? And they taught you how to make pancakes. Like, I mean, I, I kill it at pancakes. I love pancakes. And so I thank my home ec teacher, uh, Miss Jones for that. But. Um, but uh, they don't really prepare for life. But Colby was talking to me about his financial course that he's taking. Um, and, uh, and, and, and luckily, Colby, just a couple years ago, took Dave Ramsey's financial peace class that we offer here annually at CTK Sudden Valley. And, uh, and he was sharing me this stat that it, there was two people. There's Ben and Arthur. Ben, uh, from the age of uh, 19 to 26 invests $2,000. And then he stops and does not invest another penny the rest of his life. 
Arthur, at the young age of 27, invests $2,000 and continues to invest all the way until he's 65. Who would you think had more money? Ben, who invested just for, I don't know, eight, nine years, or Arthur, who invested for many, many more years. But at, at 65, who has more money? Ben, not Arthur. At the end of that uh, time, when uh, Ben stops investing at uh, 26 and Arthur starts at 27, Ben's compound or uh, exponential growth on his investment gets him uh, $2.28 million. Arthur's investment gets him $1.5 million. And I don't know how they're investing. Maybe Arthur has a way better investor uh, than, or I mean, Ben does than Arthur. But the, 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 the idea of that is this, this, is this compound or exponential growth on early investment and early decisions to make a choice. And uh, as I was reading up on this, it's also said that even at a young age of uh, like 19, if you were to set aside and invest just a couple hundred dollars a month, starting then, by the time you hit retirement age, you'd be a millionaire. Um, and, and I was actually talking to another person this week who talked about like the American way, they weren't from around here, the American way is work as hard as you can until you're 65 to build up your investment and then uh, go out and have your fun, right? And I don't know about you, I'd much rather have the fun while I'm still physically able to have the fun. But, uh, but this idea is this exponential growth, this exponential growth rather than linear growth. Uh, linear is just like one plus one equals two and two plus two equals four. And if I was to take 50 steps out the door, I'd be 50 feet uh, ahead. I wouldn't, you know, that's all the further I would get. Uh, that's linear growth. That's just whatever you're capable of on your own to do, you do it, and that's where you get in life. But then there's this exponential growth, and as we get into this, I believe the exponential growth is the growth that God leads in our life. The idea of exponential growth or return on our investment uh, is, is huge when it comes to investing in God and what He has for us. The exponential growth is taking steps early in life to have the biggest impact down the road. And specifically today we'll be talking about as it pertains to our faith and as it pertains to our trust in God. This week, uh, I, uh, this book just came out uh, and, it, and it heavily influenced my message. It actually came out on the second. Uh, Do It For A Day, it's by Mark Batterson. Uh, and, uh, and it makes a lofty claim here, but it says, how to make or break any habit in 30 days. Huh? I mean, if this actually does that, this is the moneymaker, right? And so uh, I had the opportunity to uh, listen and read, read m much of this book, which is really uniquely laid out. It's actually laid out in 30 days, 30 reads, uh, where it, it talks about uh, breaking, making and breaking uh, Breaking, breaking, breaking habits. When the quote that he uses that, that really struck me this week was this, um, if you do the little things like they're big things, God is in the business of doing big things like they're little things. And he uses this quote as he preaches and he uses this quote in this book a lot and we're gonna touch base on it as well this morning. Um, 
Today, the title is Making Life Count. And as uh, you look at making steps exponentially in your life to invest in your faith, uh, we have to start someplace. We have to start somewhere in the Bible to even know what the purpose of our life is. And that's kind of what we've been talking about a lot recently. Like, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? Uh, what, what, what is it that, uh, that God wants me to do with my life? But that, all that starts in the Bible, page one. And you've probably heard me talk about page one of the Bible, page two of the Bible, page three of the Bible, but t- today is no different. Page one of the Bible is that uh, there was a, a big bang, you might explain it. Uh, whether you believe that it started with uh, a small molecule or a big explosion or a blank canvas or a speck of matter or dirt, uh, it origi- or, or maybe you believe it originated from a vast emptiness of nothing, right? Uh, both science and Christianity can prove that there is an origin of something. Whether it's a bang or a speck of dirt or a small atom that's spun around and then created an explosion. What, where science and Christianity differ is science can't get all the way to, all the way to how it actually happened. And if we look at page one of the Bible, we actually know the answer is that God spoke. That was the Big Bang. That was the tornado of creation. That was his voice, his uh, being spoke everything into creation. And that in that there was at the center of it all a creator, an author, a designer, an artist, uh, a maker of, 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 uh, of place and uh, in, in, in a creator of all things. A creator of all things that he created uh, this planet where we think that is the only place where uh, life is formed that this planet, a small ball, would rotate around a larger ball of molten fire, never to get too close or never to drift too far away, that in both cases we would just be destroyed. We would freeze up or burn up. But that God, in his unique creativeness, uh, creativity, created it all so that it would work together and that we would have purpose here on earth. Page two of the Bible is that that didn't happen by chance, that it's not just dumb luck or uh, happenstance, that there's purpose and meaning to our lives. And that the purpose and meaning that uh, is what we kind of talked about two weeks ago, this idea of to know God and to be known by God. Right, and that God, cre- God the Creator uh, wanted us to know Him and to be known and for Him to be known and that the Creator of all things uh, would be known as the Creator and that we, His creation, would make Him known in all things as well. And that being the core of what we're going to talk about today, that a life lived in the manner and the most healthiest way uh, we would achieve to know God and to be, for God to be known. And then page three happened, and we talked about this last week. Page three happened, and we messed it up, right? God, the creator, gave us one rule, one choice, and that was to not eat of that tree, the fruit that was on that tree. And I asked myself the question this week is, why would God do that? Why would God 
create a tree that if we were to eat of the tree, uh, brokenness, as you've heard me say, I, I hate that as an answer, like we live in a broken world and that is why. But brokenness entered the world because we chose to eat of the fruit of the tree. Why would God, the creator, the knower, the, the uh, understanding of all things, the purposeful, why would he create that for us to then, knowing even our human nature, we would do that at the core? It's because we knew that, because he knew that love had to be a choice. That we had to choose to connect and be with and love our creator in such a way that it would be our choice. I tell you what, I have a teenage daughter that I often talk about. I won't say her name, but you might know her. Uh, and, and as my daughter has hit teenage years, if I was to force my daughter at this moment to every day when I came home or every time she saw me to come up to me and say, Dad, I love you. I will obey all that you say. I love you. Uh, you are uh, handsome. And, uh, you know, and I just made her recite everything that I wanted her to say to me that I needed to hear in that moment, much of you would be making phone calls and my daughter would probably be taken from me, right? Because I would force her to do the things that I would just want her to choose. And, and, and that kind of, in, a, in an incomplete way, is that choice that we have to love our Creator, to love God. That if we weren't given that choice and God forced us to do all the things, we wouldn't have really, in an essence, love and we wouldn't be able to find that purpose here. And the choice in that is two-sided. That in the goal of life, there is a, a choice to love and there's a choice not to love. And that in our goal of, uh, of know God and to be known, if we choose love, we get 50 points and we win and we follow Him, right? We've talked about this. But selfishly, what we've also come to understand is selfishly, we will make the wrong choice at times. We're all broken and we live in a broken world as we've already established that I don't like that, but I want to choose God, but I don't always, I'm not always able to. Selfishly, I will make the wrong choice and I'll get negative 50 points. I'll hit the slide and shoots and ladders, go back 13 spaces or like, I'll be in like molasses land. I'll pull the candy cane forest and have to go all the way back to the beginning of candy land, right? But that, that winning and losing at life or making it count is what we're talking about today is that battle between choosing love and not choosing love, choosing selfishness, choosing uh, our own desires of which we fall into a trap often. And that fruit, that eating of the fruit, at that moment, brokenness entered into the world. And if you got it, that was that separate choice, that all creation needed to have the choice to not be robotic and in, 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 uh, linear, really, in growth. And that God in the game of life wanted us to choose Him from the beginning. The design of this plan, if you read in Genesis, the design was not for us to die. But God Himself, in creating the tree of life and then telling us not to knowledge of tree, telling us not to eat of that tree and then us eating that tree at that moment, brokenness entered into the world and out of God's love and, and care for us at that moment, he said, no more. 
that the tree of life is no longer access to you because here's the deal, God in his love and sovereignty for us did not desire us to live in a broken world forever. So it was at that moment that things changed. That God knew he didn't want his creation to be on this broken world forever. He wanted eternity with him. That's page three of the Bible. And that this brokenness in this world would just be a flash in the plan. It'd be a mist. It'd be a minute. It, it would be super temporary. I've used the analogy before. I think Josh has used it before where there's a rope. And on that rope is just a small little section. But that rope goes for hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of yards because Home Depot doesn't have enough rope. But um, it's eternity. And our life is just very small. And God wants each one of us to make the choice on this life uh, the choices that we make on this life to weigh into not the temporary, not what we're doing here right now on this earth, but he wants us to make the choices, the healthy choices in our life that impact eternity, that impact the forever in our life. And that would be that we would know God and that he would be known. Jesus himself got 33 years on this planet. Not very many years, uh, comparative to even the history of the Bible, but very productive 33 years on this planet. And in the final year, in the final moments of his time here on earth, like just before his arrest and, and just before Judas's betrayal, uh, he knows what is to come. He knows that he would take on the cross, and he, would, he knows he would do it so that we wouldn't have to live in this brokenness forever. And in that moment, Jesus prays a prayer. Right before he takes on the cross, he prays a prayer. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all of humanity, for us. Whether we fall into the disciple category or we fall into everybody else. And in that prayer, that prayer can be found in John 17. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone with a Bible on, you can open up. We're going we're gonna to be in and, and looking at John 17 a lot uh, as well as some in Galatians and uh, even, I think, a verse in Ephesians, a couple verses in Ephesians, but you can jump around. It's all New Testament stuff this morning. But if you don't have a Bible, I'd love to get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please let me know. I will, I will personally buy you a Bible that works for you that you want. But John 17, verse 1. Jesus prays a prayer for himself, it said in the NIV. He prays a prayer for the disciples, and he prays a prayer for everyone else. I think they all kind of go together, but it says this. After Jesus said this, he looked towards the heavens and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. That's Jesus saying, in this moment, I realize what is to come. May you glorify me in what I have to do, the decisions I have to make, but may, may that glorification actually glorify you in everything that happens from here on out. He's letting his disciples know, like he has numerous times, that, that this is actually going down. And this is the way, even though they were all opposed to it, this is the way it's going to happen. Verse 2. For you granted him, Jesus, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and that Jesus Christ, whom you have, or whom, whom you have is eternal life, that they know you, the only true... Oh, I'm, okay, here we go. Verse 2, starting over. 
For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you hear that in there? He says, here's the deal. It's going down. It's going to happen. What he wants is he wants God's plan, God's, uh, God's uh, creation, and why he created it to boil down to this one thing, that they would know him as the only, one and only true God. And then he goes on in verse 4, I have, I have brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I know. You know, and it's funny because there's quite a few times that Jesus actually talks in third person. He's like second person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't know the order there, but he talks in third person. And, and, and what I've come to find in those moments where he's talking about him as God and him at creation, present, all that, those are very important times, and this being one of them. But he's saying here, I brought you glory on this earth and finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence and with your glory uh, I had before you, before the world even began. And then at this moment, there's this wrestling match that starts. There's this wrestling match that starts between Jesus praying for his people and praying against the world. Against what we live in and partake in what we are a part of. And he says, I pray for them. He's talking about his disciples, talking about us. I'm not praying for the world, but those who you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. This is established that we have access to everything that God has, all powerful, all knowing, all understanding. We as his creation, as, as, uh, as, as those of us that have placed our faith and trust in him, have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have access to everything that is of God. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as, you, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. Uh, none has been lost uh, except the one who doomed destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Uh, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have a full measure of the joy within them. I've given them, th them your word, your truth, uh, and the world has hated them. The world, I can't... I mean, is that happening now? The world's turning against the church. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they may too, that they too may truly may be truly sanctified. And Jesus prays this prayer in this wrestling match that he's talking about that is, that is uh, praying for his people, his creation, and, and, uh, and those that have trusted in him, those that will, will trust in him later on, uh, those that God has given him specifically, the disciples at this time. He's praying for all of them and saying to them, the world is evil. The things of this world are tough. 
uh, and, and we'll get into this in here in a second. But then in Galatians 6, he actually says to do good for all people. And there's this battle that we have between being in the world and of the world. Like we've heard it before in Scripture. Uh, be in the world. Be in amidst the world and, and where he's left us and where God has placed us with purpose and meaning. But don't be of the world. And the world, and what the world asks of us, what the world grooms us for. And Jesus prays that we uh, may be protected from the evil one in the world. And this church is the daily battle that Jesus is actually praying for us about. And that he experienced, even while he was here walking on this planet, that, that, that he prays with conviction, knowing the battle that we would face on a daily basis in our lives. This would be the battle of turn the other cheek. This would be the battle of, uh, you know, taking your shirt off and giving it to your neighbor. Like, the countercultural things that Scripture tells us to do is the battle. And that's just, I mean, those are big things. There's little things that we all struggle with when it comes to uh, living our life here on this planet, this broken as we established world. Jesus knew the battle. In Galatians 5, 17, he says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want and i'll tell you what this scripture here in galatians is so clear i don't know if you can relate to it like i can relate to it but how how many times has we have we battled our selfish Desires that we want in our life compared to what the Spirit would lead us into, the life that the Spirit would desire for us to have. What the flesh desires is contrary to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. I don't know if you feel that. On a daily basis, I feel that battle all too often. And I want to get practical with you guys for a moment because some of what's written in the book, and I broke off from that because this is really a practical uh, and a you know, pretty well-written attempt at addressing and, and, and helping us with habits. But that's, I mean, that's at the core what we battle on a daily basis is our habits in our life. But what Batterson would say would show me your habits— the habits that you formed in your life, and I will show you your future. I will show you your desire and what you want in life. And I believe we get so wrapped up in the, uh, the day-to-day living and even habits and even things that we do kind of without even thinking about it, we don't even realize how much those things control us. And how much we allow those things to creep in, and then those become the focus far before what Jesus would desire for us. And do you see what Jesus is praying in that prayer? He's saying, glorify me for your sake, God. Glorify me so that you would be glorified. So that they may see you, and they may see that everything, it said in there in in John 17, everything comes from you. In that same manner as Jesus is praying about there in John 17, in that same manner, we are called to live that life. And what does that look like? 
What does that look like for us? And if we can get practical, it's some of the habits we have in our lives, and both good, bad, or sideways. Some of us, not me, choose to work out five days a week, right? A habit that we formed, and actually it's a great way to continue down doing that. And, and actually, God talks about us being healthy. Some of us have a habit of hitting the coffee stand every day on the way to work, right? Some of us have the habit of, uh, at the end of the day, taking the last 30 minutes of our day and flipping through all, all the things on our phone, catching up on what the world is, ha what's, what's happening in the world and around us. Some of us have a habit to visit me, Rancho, at least once a week. Um, that's me. That was supposed to be a little funny. Uh, some of us have the habit of smoking or chewing gum or whatever it may be, the habits we form in our life. Some of us have a habit of how we get dressed, whether it's left foot first, right foot first, socks before pants. I realized today, because I was keeping track, I, I think every day I put my socks on before I put my pants on. Like, that's just my habit I formed in my life. Some of us have habits of uh, uh, because uh, habits that we that we don't even realize that are happening in our life that we become numb to. But when it comes down to it, and and and, and I and I hear what you might be saying is, what does this have to do about God? What does this have to do about uh, our relationship with Him? And I would say that at the core of it, even our habits are deeply spiritual in nature. That they actually even boil down to uh, our spiritual formation and obedience, and they are the, God wants us to be wants them to be deeply rooted in in Him, and and we happen to know that habits in our lives are some of the most impossible things to break, right? Some of the most impossible things to change. But see, our God is in the business of making that change in our lives. I believe even in the slightest of chains, of chains, change, that we would turn and shift our focus or that we would shift our glance or that we would uh, allow God the space to make big use of small things in our lives. And I love that quote that I shared with you at the beginning. If we do little things like they are big things, God is in the business of doing big things like they're little things. And if we go back to that math that I uh, introduced at the beginning of this message, this linear math is our ability to take one step, one motion, and that be the outcome. It produces linear, 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 Linear results um, And that one step and one motion that's what would be produced, but I believe our God works in an exponential manner That when we do the small things they turn into big things and I do believe getting healthy uh, Is a series of, of a lot of times small steps That we take as we're hopefully going to find out here. There are small steps that we take towards what God desires for us, and that in those small steps, God would turn those things into big exponential results. 
That if we open up the space to allow God to make the change, like giving a habit over to him or establishing something uh, in, uh, in, 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 in his name or in his uh, origin, like establishing something that is in him and what he desires for us, that that change in our lives, that spiritual health will come. I heard it put this way, the degree to which we are willing to allow God or Jesus access in, your, in our lives is the degree in which we will experience his freedom, or as what we've kind of come to look at today, the exponential growth that he desires for us. Let me say that again. The degree to which we are willing to allow God or allow Jesus access to our life is the degree in which we will experience his freedom in our lives. And that includes the day-to-day -day habits, the day-to-day, that actually very much so should be the focus of our day-to-day -day habits and our day-to-day -day lives and, and the things in our lives that God is actually asking us to maybe change. See, one of the best ways to achieve uh, change in our life is actually not just quitting something. You know, you've heard it said before that I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop, like Lent, I'm going to stop whatever, sugar, alcohol, all those things, like I'm going to give that up. I'm going to stop it. But one of the best ways for us to, to make that process and change in our life is to actually replace it with something. And God would say that he actually wants us to replace it with something spiritual. Something that's focused on him. Listen to these verses. This is great. Ephesians 4, 20, 28 says, Anyone, how many, how many struggle with stealing? Go ahead, raise your hand. Sweet, a lot of hands, a lot of hands raised, uh, just so you know. No, I'm just kidding. But it says this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but, or, uh, but must work, do something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, uh, I won't make you raise your hands on this one, do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing, make music from the heart of the Lord. Replace whatever it is with praises to God. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with everything from malice, from of malice. But instead, be kind and compassionate to one another. In order for us to move forward and to take steps forward, we often have to leave something behind. In order for us to take some ground, we often have to leave something behind. Another way to achieve some of this change in our life is to give it meaning in our lives. If you've been around the last three years, you probably remember the story that I shared with you quite a few times. I used it as an example of my motivation, but about three years ago, uh, or even more than that, my dad uh, 
and I think I asked permission to share this. If not, Dad, sorry. Uh, my dad had a, a heart procedure done, and, he, was, and he, 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 he didn't have a heart attack, but it was touch and go, and it was really bad. And, and, and I remember because my dad then took us out to eat, and I ordered this giant cheeseburger and fries, and got the fries first and the soda and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of dinner, my dad said, Jason, I want you to get healthy. And, uh, and he shared with me that he wanted me to lose weight and get healthy. And so he, he said that he would pay me to lose weight. And I made a lot of money. Uh, but uh, that being said, as you can see, it didn't last incredibly long. But my motivation in that was fleeting. And oftentimes that kind of motivation doesn't work. Uh, my wife's story today is even often that she has to find what is motivating for me to get healthy. And I have a note that she wrote me well before my dad made me that offer, pleading for me to get healthy. And I, I hold on to that note. And I know she's super hopeful, and I'm hopeful one day that that becomes my motivation. But often what happens is, is we have to find the meaning for what we want to accomplish in our life. We have to give it meaning. And studies actually show doing it for someone else is one of our best motivations. Doing it for someone else is one of our best motivations. And for us as believers, my hope is, and my understanding, or my hope for our understanding is that uh, Christ and his life lived and his, his active pursuit of relationship with us is that someone else. Make it meaningful. When we make it meaningful, that's when the rubber hits the road. And that's, and I, and that's my question for us today, is that is God, is, is Jesus meaningful enough in your life to get spiritually healthy, to pursue him in all things that you are doing and stop pursuing the things in your life that uh, aren't centered on him, that are more selfish, Face the, the past Sunday morning, the past what Pastor Jason says, the past what we sing and worship, or what we might read, even read in our Bibles to gain knowledge that, that we may find that meaning and purpose in Christ. And here's the deal I'm a big fan of trainers, counseling, coaching, all that kind of stuff. Preventative counseling is one of the is the best type of counseling, right? I'm, I've coached sports and and coached people in my life now for quite a while, and I'm a big fan of all that. But getting into the mix with God at the core far outweighs any of that. When is the last time you laid flat on your face with a request to God? Not out of desperation, not out of like, I've tried and exhausted all that I'm able to do, which actually isn't a bad place to be in when we need to rely on God. But where you actually maybe even went to God first with the fervence of like desiring, wanting exactly what he would want for you. And calling and crying out for that. When is the last time you did that? That brings the change that God desires for us. Do we really want to grasp the freedom that Jesus prayed in John 17 and that he talks about all through Scripture, the freedom that God has for us, 
That we wouldn't be what Scripture tells us over and over is slaves to this world and slaves to the operations of everything that's going on. That we would have all freedom in Him. That He would cut us loose from the, the habits and the, and the culture and the rituals of the things that we do on this planet. Although they have meaning and, and, and He desires for us to use them to make Him known. But that we would find freedom in Him. John 8, 36 says this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not being in the world, or what Jesus prayed about, protection from the world is a parallel to being able to experience the freedom that Christ offers you in all things. In all things. And I truly believe it, it start, it, God works in big ways and can work in a second, but often it starts with the smallest steps taken in the right direction, the spiritual obedience and habits that form where we focus in on him immediately or in every moment of everything that we may face. And here's, here's, here's the big thing I heard this week. There are only two things... There are only two things on this planet that are eternal. That are that life that God desires for us to live. The, this is our life here on earth and the eternal is everything else. There are only two things on this earth that are eternal. God's word, his truth, and people. Those are the only two things on this earth that are eternal. And that's the focus that God wants for us. And the desire that he has for us. And so in those things, the question is, where are we making exponential steps of growth in our faith? You've maybe heard me say it before like this. What is God working on your life right now? What is God doing in your life right What is he working on you with? If you don't know, you need to dive in there with God. You need to get, get down with him and be like, hey, what is it? Where's the habits? What is the things you want me to change? What is God doing in your life right now? And that's where God wants you to start. That's where he wants to move exponentially and not just linearly. Lin whatever, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and he wants to make it proof that he's doing the work and not we're just taking steps forward at our own pace and our own ability. Is, it, is, is the areas of exponential steps in your life focused on the short period of time that you have here on earth, or are those areas of exponential growth in your life focused on where God is working and where you can see where he's doing amazing things? God desires to work in our life at a level that is unexplainable to our own ability. He desires for us to press into him and allow him to work in ways that we cannot take credit for. And the restoration and, 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 and the story that comes of that is, is the amazing work that God's doing with each one of us. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, um, 
Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to enter into relationship with you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have, the choice that we have, the choice that you gave us to choose you in all things. Lord, I thank you that it's not forced, that it's not... I don't like the word mandated. But I thank you that we get that choice, Lord. But I pray for that choice because oftentimes I know that I I often choose wrong. And so, Lord, my prayer for me and my friends, my brothers and sisters and you, Lord, is that we may focus in on the choice that you have for us. And that's a choice that's focused on eternity, that's focused on... um, things that far outlast our life here on earth that are far bigger than this holiday season or this year or the last 19 months, Lord. I thank you that eternity is the scope and the focus that we have so that the last 19 months, the last two years, the last two months are are just minimal. And that your plan, your desire, your work, your exponential growth that you desire for us, Lord, far outweighs and overshadows all of that. And so, Lord, may we press into that this morning. May we press into that this season. May we press into that in our personal walk and desire with you. Not taking credit for ourselves, but giving you all the credit that that we may know you and that you may be known amongst us, Lord. Amen.